Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 3.5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P.com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Welcome back to the Great Unsolved Podcast. I am your host, Alexis, and this week we are talking about the mysterious disappearance and death of Judy Smith. Before we get into it, make sure to follow at Great Unsolved on Twitter, at Great Unsolved Pod on Instagram, join our Facebook group for discussions, and like our Facebook page for updates, both of which can be done by searching Great Unsolved on Facebook. We also have a Patreon where there are tons of Patreon-only episodes, a monthly bonus episode, I give you a shout out when you join, and you get early ad-free access to all the episodes that come out to the public. Joining Patreon helps me devote more time to researching and covering these unsolved cases to bring out to all of you and just get the information out to hopefully help the victims and the family members of the victims. So like I said, today we are talking about the murder of Judy Smith, or murder question mark of Judy Smith is exactly what I have in my notes, because it's not conclusive that it was a murder. Um, Police did state it was a homicide, but we'll get into some different theories later. So Judy Smith, who was a home care nurse in Boston in her 50s, went missing when she planned to go sightseeing in Philadelphia. She was from Boston, but she was in Philadelphia with her husband of, I believe, eight months on a work trip. And five months after she went missing from Philadelphia, her bones were found 700 miles away. She had been married two times before the marriage she was in when she disappeared. Her first marriage... She got married right out of high school, and her husband fled the United States to not get drafted into the Vietnam War, and she went to Europe, she found him, but she came back alone, and that ended in divorce. Second husband she met while working at a horse racetrack, and they were married. They had two children together, I believe a boy and a girl, and then he eventually left her. They got divorced. And she really had to step up into being a single mom. She started working 70 hours a week. And then she started going to school to become a nurse. 
and eventually she worked her family up to be in a comfortable position. Her third husband, the one she was with at the time of her disappearance, she actually met because she was the stay-at-home nurse for his father after his father had throat surgery in the mid-1980s. After about 10 years, they got married in September 1996, which was only about eight months, I believe, before she went missing. Well, seven or eight months in between there, pretty much. Because she, they got married in September 1996. She went missing in April 1997. This was their first trip together, and it was going to be to her husband's work conference that was in Philadelphia on April 9 through 11, 1997. Then they would spend a week with friends in nearby New Jersey. Her husband was a lawyer in the healthcare industry, I believe. So they both worked in healthcare, which I'm sure helped them meet and have more things to talk about. And he was a very prominent lawyer. This is why he was going to this conference. He was going to be a speaker and he was going to speak along with the mayor of Philadelphia and many other important politicians. So it was a big thing for him. And Judy wanted to go with because she had never been to Philadelphia before. So let's dive into the timeline. This all happened in 1997. And a big source I used for this timeline was actually a Reddit thread by Quirky Motor. They laid out a lot of time things and kind of consolidated all the different articles and all the different pieces of information into a concrete timeline, or at least a suspected timeline. I also used a million different news sources and stuff like that, but I wanted to credit this Redditor because they really pointed out different times. On April 9th, the couple goes to Logan International Airport to fly to Philadelphia, because once again, they were from right outside Boston. Around 1 p.m., it was discovered that Judy forgot her driver's license, which was needed to fly. So she told her husband, you know, I'll go home. I'll get it. I'll catch a later flight. You go on to Philadelphia because he did have to be at the conference that day, I believe. Many people find this odd. Like, why would you forget your ID when you're going to the airport? At this time, it had only been about 18 months that the law was in effect that you had to have an ID, you had to have identification to get on a plane. This is not after 9-11, obviously, so it's not that strict, but you did have to have an ID to verify your ticket and get on the plane. So it makes sense that she might have forgotten it. She had traveled a lot before, but she had not had to use her ID when going to the airport to travel. Her husband, Jeff, states that this was actually the first time she would really travel while the law was in effect. So later on in the case, and if you listen to anything else on this case, I'm sure you'll hear people just be astounded that she forgot her ID to get on a plane. But it really, it makes sense in this timeline and in 1997. So I'm going to say allegedly... 
Around 9.30 p.m., she ended up finding him in the lobby of the Doubletree Inn or Doubletree Hotel in Center City, Philadelphia. After taking her own flight there around 7.30, I believe. This was the hotel where the conference was at. And subsequently, this was the hotel where they were staying this weekend. The reason I said allegedly will be clear later, but we're just going to leave it at that right now. A notable thing that supposedly happened when she met him in the lobby was she gave him a bouquet of flowers to apologize, like, I'm sorry that I couldn't fly with you because I forgot my ID. You know, it was just a little bit of an inconvenience, so she was apologizing. And just remember that because it'll come up later when we talk about eyewitness testimonies and sightings and a few theories. Now, April 10th, Jeffrey goes down to get breakfast. Judy was still sleeping at this time. And once again, Jeffrey is her husband. I call him Jeff, Jeffrey throughout the episode. So just keep that in mind. When he comes back up, Judy is in the shower and he says, the breakfast was really good. You should go down there, get breakfast. And she jokingly says like, oh yeah, I'll go right now, even though she's in the shower and obviously naked. And this was the last time he supposedly interacted with his wife. He left while she was still in the shower to go to the conference because he had to check in, he had to speak. You know, he has a pretty solid alibi having to be at this conference all day, this entire day. It was agreed upon by both Judy and Jeff that she would go sightseeing and she would be back by 6 p.m. to go to a cocktail party that the conference was holding. I'm assuming this was where they all talked to each other, got to know each other, you know, mingled. Most conferences have that, and I'm sure Jeff wanted his wife to be there. Around 9 a.m., it is said that Judy left the hotel with her signature red backpack. Her children, her husband, friends say she always had her stuff in a red backpack, especially when she traveled. Once again, this will come into play later. I'm not just mentioning it mentioning it for no reason. So remember the red backpack. Now, in some places, it is stated she left the hotel around 9 a.m., but some other places say around 10 a.m., Judy talks to a hotel employee on how to get to this specific bus. Now, this bus was called Flash, P-H-L-A-S-H, And it was kind of a tour bus, tour group type thing where they would drive around the city, stop every 15 minutes at touristy places, Liberty Bell, Independence Hall, different things like that, so that tourists could jump on and off, go see what they want to see, and, you know, do their own kind of tour of the city. Now, when I started looking at this case, it was kind of unclear to me if she had gone sightseeing on her own or if she was with a tour group. Now, it kind of sounds like she did a little of both, but she wasn't with a tour group. Immediately when I thought she was with a tour group, I was like, there's no way she disappeared and no one saw anything. Because you're with a tour group, you stay with them all day, they kind of take attendance to make sure everybody's with them, you know. But it seems if she got on this bus, Or even if she didn't get on this bus and she went sightseeing, she was on her own at most places. There was no one keeping track of her. 
This makes it much easier for her to disappear without anybody seeing anything because Philadelphia is a touristy city. There's tons of people who aren't there all the time, and it's much harder to get eyewitness testimonies in touristy areas because the people who were there when she went missing, who might have also been on the flash bus, aren't there after, so police can't really track them down, they can't really get statements, so even if someone did see something, it's very likely the police have no idea who this person is or where they are now. It is unclear if she ever actually used the flash bus. I don't know if you had to use identification for a ticket. Probably not. You could probably just buy a ticket. And if the ticket seller is seeing thousands of people a day, they probably don't remember one missing woman. So we don't know if she actually used the bus and... It, it doesn't really play into this at all, but if she didn't, then she could have gone missing a lot earlier than suspected. Around 1 p.m., Judy, or someone that looks like Judy, was seen entering the Greyhound bus station. This could lend itself to the idea later that she left on her own free will, but once again, we'll get into that when we get to the theories part. She did tell her husband she would for sure visit Independence Hall and the Liberty Bell. But once again, we don't know if anyone ever saw her there, because it's really hard to figure that out. We don't know if she ever made it to those places, so we really have a very loose timeline in this case. Around 3 p.m. that day, someone matching Judy's description is seen very disoriented about 10 minutes away from the Doubletree Hotel, that her and her husband were staying in. Around 5.30 p.m., Jeff came back to their hotel room, thinking Judy would be there, they would get ready, and they would go down to the cocktail party. But she was not there. He ended up going down to the party, thinking maybe she already went there, and she just didn't want to wait for me. Maybe she's at the bar, maybe she's talking to people, you know. So he went down there to look for her. Obviously, she was not there. For a little while, he kind of went back and forth checking, like, if she was in the hotel room, if she went down to the cocktail party, if he was just somehow completely missing her. And he wasn't. He eventually expressed concern to a hotel employee around 6.15 p.m., 45 minutes after Judy was supposed to show up. So this hotel employee started calling hospitals and just checking to see if anyone under the name Judy Smith or anyone matching her description had checked in or was taken there. One of the main theories at this time was that there could have been an accident and Judy could have gotten hurt either minimally or very badly and she was at the hospital and it could just be taking her a little longer. Her husband Jeff also stated she would never hesitate to help someone in need She was obviously a nurse, so maybe something happened to somebody else. She helped out. She ended up going to the hospital with them, and that was what was holding her up. But none of the hospitals had any record of seeing anyone like her or having a Judy Smith at their hospital. So Jeff wasted no time. By 6.30 p.m., he hired a taxi driver to follow the Flash tour bus route 
to see if she got stuck at one of the places, if she was waiting for the bus, if she just lost track of time, but she was nowhere. I'm unsure if he actually got out and looked at each place, but I kind of doubt it. Um, At this point, it's only been an hour. You're not thinking something insane happened. It's not a dire situation yet. So you're just kind of looking around, seeing, oh, she maybe come out here, you know. But obviously, he found nothing at this point. Between 9 p.m. and 12 a.m., Jeff also called his stepchildren. Like I mentioned, Judy had two children from a previous marriage. They were adults now. They were doing their own thing. But he called them back in Boston to go to Jeff and Judy's house and check for voicemails, but there were none there. This struck me as a little odd. Why would she call her home in Boston if she knew her husband was in Philadelphia? Now, maybe she didn't have the number for the hotel or she couldn't think of it. And she thought, you know, if something happened, he might do this. And she called there. It just seemed kind of odd to me. Why would you look for a voicemail there? But I guess if your wife is missing, you're kind of checking every odd and end at this point because you don't know where she is, you don't know what happened, so you're just trying to see if there's any record of her anywhere. It's reported that around 10 p.m. that night, a local homeless man stated he saw Judy sleeping on a bench. He says that she left early in the morning on April 11th, and he is very adamant that he knows this was Judy. Sometime this same evening, a woman in Asheville, North Carolina, which was a 13-hour car ride during traffic, I searched it like an hour ago, which is 3 p.m. on a Sunday. It was a 13 and a half hour car ride. If you're going and there's absolutely no traffic, it's probably like a 10-hour car ride. But it's not plausible if she was ever in Philly that day. If any of these sightings were right, it's not plausible she got to Asheville that night. So this woman says that Judy, or someone looking just like her, checked into her hotel and stayed until April 12th. However, there's other reports of sightings of Judy in Philadelphia four days after her disappearance. Obviously, she can't be in both places at once, so someone is wrong here or they are both mistaken. By midnight... Or, yeah, midnight on April 11th, so midnight April 10th, the day she went missing, into April 11th, Jeff went to the police to report Judy missing. The police tell him, you know, you have to wait 24 hours. If you're really concerned, you can come back in the morning, but you gotta wait a little while. Because they said, it is not uncommon for women her age to take off due to a midlife crisis. And we see this in so many cases. The main suspect or the main theory is always, oh, they left of their own accord. They're just they wanted to leave, which is almost never a plausible theory. It's almost never the case. And it's just aggravating after a while. Between 12 a.m. and 8 a.m. on April 11th, Jeff called different political people complaining about the police. There was he talked to the mayor of Philadelphia because he was at the same conference He talked to people from the House of Representatives. He called a bunch of big Philadelphia politicians. And he's like, hey, the police are dismissing this. I know there's something wrong. This is not okay. 
and he believes this made a huge difference in the police looking for his wife. When he went in the next morning, there was two detectives waiting to take his report, waiting to work on the case, and obviously, this is because the politicians had called the office, the police office, police office, and been mad about this because a high-up lawyer is complaining about something, his wife's missing, and you're not helping him. This looks really bad for all of us. If it wasn't someone with all the connections that Jeff had, I doubt this case would have been taken seriously for at least a few more days. But the police started looking very early that morning and started trying to get eyewitnesses, just started their investigation altogether. Jeff and Judy's two children started making and hanging posters around Philadelphia. Jeff also hired three separate private investigators who eventually really led to nothing, but this is kind of showing he did not think this was normal. There was no reason for him or her children to think she left of her own accord, and it kind of points to him not being a good suspect. Why would you try to incriminate yourself with three investigators looking for her so ineptly, calling politicians, getting the police involved right away? If he killed her, he's a very bad murderer at covering up. And I don't think he killed her. We'll get into that more later. But it just seems like he was very worried. I told my husband, if I ever go missing, this is, he better act like this. But on the other hand, he he has a wife who does a lot of true crime stuff. So he would know how to not get caught if he did do anything. But, you know, two sides. So I really commend Jeff for doing all this so quickly and getting the police involved and kind of pressured so quickly. April 13th through 15th, a quote-unquote weirdo looking like Judy checks into Society Tree Hotel. I believe this was in Asheville, but I'm not 100% sure. It might be closed now. Google didn't turn up anything. It was either in Philly or Asheville. On the 15th, they checked out and tried to check into a Best Western nearby. Both hotels called the police, and the police determined it is, or it was probably not Judy. Now, it just strikes me as odd that the wording was probably not, because she's a missing person. Wouldn't you try and verify this? Did they just come in and were like, hey, are you Judy? And she was like, no. And they're like, okay, it's probably not Judy. It just doesn't make sense to me. I don't know all the details, but it doesn't sound like they investigated this lead too well. Later that month, still in April, police say no one can confirm Judy was ever in Philadelphia at all. This will be another theory that she never actually went there. She was dead before that. Anyways, I'm unsure when, but witnesses say Judy, wearing a red backpack, was shopping at Macy's in New Jersey. This was just across the Delaware River from Philadelphia, which she could have gotten to pretty easily by a bus. There was one that went there every hour. 
and she was supposedly seen at a Greyhound bus station. So it makes some sense. Some workers at this Macy's recall talking to this woman, and she said she was shopping for her daughter, even though her daughter didn't often like what she bought her, which the family said was very true. Apparently, Judy would buy her daughter things, and her daughter didn't really have that style. So that makes sense, but also I think that's something that happens with a lot of mothers and their daughters, or grandmothers and their daughters. People have different styles. I don't think it's that odd or that like, oh, that was definitely Judy. However, when she went to leave, she tried to get a younger woman to leave with her. And the staff assumed this was her daughter, even though we know now it was not. Whether this was Judy or not, this younger woman was not this woman's daughter. There were sightings in Easton, which is about 55 miles north of Philadelphia. Sightings in Philadelphia. Sightings in Asheville, which is 600 to 700 miles away from Philadelphia. And sightings in Atlantic City which was about 69, 70 miles away from Philadelphia. So these sightings are spread out a little bit. There's some north, some south, some east, some where she was supposed to be. But there's a lot of sightings, as there is in pretty much every missing persons cases. Now, in May, Jeff finally went back home to Boston and had private investigators sent info on his wife's disappearance throughout the country. This is, I believe, what would later bring in information of her being around Asheville, supposedly, and what would lead to her bones being identified. About five months after her disappearance, on September 7th, a man and his son were hiking in woods in Pisgah, Pisgah? I don't know. National Forest near Asheville, North Carolina. This was, once again, 10 to 13 hours away from Philadelphia. They found human bones wrapped in a partially buried blue blanket. So it looks like some sort of grave was dug, a very shallow grave, and it looks like whoever killed this person wrapped them in a blue blanket before placing them in the grave. This human skeleton was a Jane Doe for 21 days, and they stated she was either 45 to 55, a white Caucasian woman with arthritis in her right knee and extensive dental work. Eventually, they compared Judy's dental records after somebody in the case or somebody close to the case saw a missing person flyer with Judy on it. And they also were able to match that she had arthritis in her right knee. They found slashes in her bra. She was, she was clothed. We'll get into that in a second. But they found slashes in her bra and on her ribs, which indicated to them a homicide by stabbing. Now, Judy left the hotel wearing clothes different than this skeleton was found in. Growing a business brings pressure. It's not easy to maintain momentum and still keep employees engaged. Fortunately, there's Insperity. Their scalable HR solutions help me with hiring, training, 
HR administration, and compliance while giving my employees competitive benefit options. When my people are able to thrive, my business can adapt and prosper. With Insperity, nothing seems impossible. Insperity, HR that makes a difference. Growing a business brings pressure. It's not easy to maintain momentum and still keep employees engaged. Fortunately, there's Insperity. Their scalable HR solutions help me with hiring, training, HR administration, and compliance while giving my employees competitive benefit options. When my people are able to thrive, my business can adapt and prosper. With Insperity, nothing seems impossible. Insperity, HR that makes a difference. This skeleton was found in hiking clothes. I believe jeans, obviously some kind of shirt, long underwear. She had, the skeleton had a blue backpack with them and expensive men's sunglasses. And this is not what she left the hotel in. It's kind of unclear what exactly she left the hotel in besides having her red backpack. But... If this was Judy, she obviously changed her clothes at some point. So I just listed out a few oddities that I want to go over before we get into theories. No one on the flight that Judy was supposedly on remembers her. You can look at this two ways. Either odd because it's stated from her ticket being used that she was on this flight. So you would think somebody would recognize her, whether it be one of the staff, one of the people on the plane, even just somebody in the airport seeing her walking around. She probably had that red backpack with her, which kind of stands out. Or you can see it as all these people were at an airport. They were just trying to get done with the flight and get home. Nobody likes airports. Nobody likes flying. So these people could have just had their heads down, reading a book, trying to sleep, doing whatever to make this flight go faster, and that is why no one saw Judy. Besides the few unconfirmed sightings of Judy in Philadelphia by the homeless man, a few other people, and a hotel employee that we'll get into in just a second, she was never really confirmed to be in Philadelphia either. A hotel employee states she saw Jeff give someone who matched Judy's description flowers. Now, from other things, we hear Judy brought him flowers. That could be an easy mistake to make. Somebody's giving somebody flowers. There you go. But this hotel employee states she did see Judy, or someone who looked just like Judy, in the hotel lobby with Jeff on April 9th. However, this hotel employee also says she saw Judy... The morning of April 10th, the day she disappeared. But it turns out, after double-checking, that this employee did not work this morning, so it was impossible that she saw Judy in the lobby. Which kind of brings into question her whole eyewitness testimony, because, you know, if one thing is messed up, why couldn't the whole thing be messed up? The body was found in hiking clothes, not what she would have worn for sightseeing, And there was a blue backpack, not her signature red backpack. I don't even know if she owned a blue backpack. She was also wearing men's expensive sunglasses that her family said she never would have bought. Even if they were women's, 
This is something she would not spend money on. They were said to be about $150 back in 1996, 1997, and her family's like, she would never have bought these. So those were most likely not hers. Her wallet and identification was missing, as well as her red backpack, but her wedding ring and money was found at the scene. So we can kind of count out a robbery gone wrong, but it still does not explain why she's there, why she's wearing what she's wearing, everything else. Now, police went back to look at the hotel and look at Jeff as a suspect because obviously people closest to you are always the first suspects in a case. Now, there were some women's clothes in the hotel, but none had been worn. And there were no cosmetics or anything else pertaining to a woman being there in the hotel. So just some clothes, which if you're trying to do a cover-up, you could bring your wife's clothes with you. You know, it's plausible. Now, her daughter did say she did not travel with cosmetics or any of that. She traveled very lightly, and she also re-wore clothes, which I get if he were only wearing them for a few hours, just change your underwear, and then put on the same clothes the next day. Makes sense. But there were no worn underwear in the hotel either, which strikes me as a little more odd. The woman at the Best Western police said was probably not Judy. Strikes me as odd as well. But supposedly, there was a lookalike with psychological issues in the area. Now, this could account for many different sightings, but some of the sightings, people are talking to this woman who they believe is Judy. And especially in Asheville, she supposedly told a store owner like, yeah, I'm from Boston. We were in Philadelphia because my husband had a conference. He's a lawyer. Like she laid out details. But also this account was found after Judy went missing. And this information was probably out in the news anyway. So it could be, you know, just mistaken memory, stuff like that. However, the homeless man that we talked about saying Judy was sleeping on a bench is 100% adamant that this was Judy, this was not her lookalike. And I would kind of have to trust him more in this case because... If this lookalike was a homeless woman with psychological issues, he might have known her. He probably encountered her at some point, and he might be the one person who could really tell the difference between her and Judy. Some friends say Judy definitely could have left on her own, left voluntarily, which confused me like crazy because the first few hours of me researching this case... It was like, oh no, she definitely got kidnapped, definitely got murdered, something like that. But then friends came out and said she definitely could have left on her own. Apparently she liked Jeff, but she did not like being married. We'll get into that more with the theory section. Judy had never been to the Asheville part of North Carolina before, so it seems kind of odd that she if voluntarily, that she would go there when she had never encountered it before, she knew nothing about it, seems kind of sketchy. If she was murdered, she would have had to have hiked up the mountain with someone because it was not a desolate trail. 
and it was a long trail up a mountain, so someone dragging her is really not plausible. When her body was found, she had about $167 with her, and her husband says she left the hotel with about $200. Now, she was gone for five months. If she went there voluntarily, it would have cost more than $33 to get 700 miles. And that's assuming she didn't eat anything or even buy these clothes that she changed into. It just doesn't make sense. And none of her cards were used. Um, Her wallet was never found, but I believe there is no bank activity whatsoever. So it just doesn't make sense if she left voluntarily. So for the theories, I kind of have to break it down a little bit because we have to talk about how she got to Asheville, North Carolina, and like why and how she was killed or died. So we're going to break it up a little bit. Let's talk about theories on how she got to Asheville. Number one, she left voluntarily. Some friends and family say she wasn't happy being married. There was nothing particularly wrong in the marriage, but she said Jeff was home a lot more lately. He was switching from private practice to being a teacher in a college or something like that, and he was home a lot more, and their relationship was not used to this. He also had her sign a prenup, which she didn't like um, for one reason or another. I don't know. I had my husband sign a prenup before we got married, Um I don't, I think it's something safe to do, especially if you're marrying a lawyer. I mean, that makes complete sense to me, but apparently she was not happy with it. She could have needed a break and left from Philly early on April 10th so that some of the sightings in Asheville could have lined up. It obviously would explain Asheville sightings and her telling people her husband was a lawyer at a conference in Philly. That would really only make sense If somebody actually told these people that, that it was her and that she did voluntarily go to Asheville. Now, some people speculate, could an argument with Jeff have made her want to break? Or could she have just wanted to break because of the other marital problems of him being home a lot and stuff like that? It's possible. Another theory is amnesia. Could she have forgotten who she was, traveled to Asheville? But that would kind of negate her talking to people and her telling people about her husband being in Philadelphia, that kind of thing. Could she have gone to Asheville to meet up with a secret boyfriend or unknown friend? You think at this point, if they didn't kill her, they would have come forward? But I don't know. This just does not seem like a plausible Theory, I mean, you can't text people. It's 1997. You, There's really not a ton going on on the internet. So I don't know how she would have met this person, how they would have discussed like, oh yeah, I'm going to Philly. Let me meet you down in Asheville, that kind of thing. And another thing is, could she have gone there because she was questioning her sexuality? Asheville was a big LGBT community at the time when there weren't many of those, but there's nothing to really suggest that either. Now, she could have been voluntarily going to Asheville area and planning on coming back, but met foul play on a hike 
or in the city. She could have planned to stay hidden and then met foul play on a hike or in the city, or she could have left and went hiking to commit suicide. But we'll go into those theories when we get to that section. Now, she had a severely arthritic knee, which is obviously not good for hiking, so that's a big issue. She had no reported mental health issues, which kind of negates the idea of her committing suicide, but so many people have undiagnosed mental health issues or ones that family and friends don't know about, so I wouldn't completely count that out. If she was killed before the hike, it would have been next to impossible to drag her up the the hike, the, what's it called, path? Trail. It's called trail. Um, it would have been next to impossible to do that, so that doesn't make a lot of sense with her leaving voluntarily, going hiking voluntarily, that thing. And there is no record of her taking a bus, plane, taxi, or renting a car to get to Asheville. So if she left on her own accord, by herself, how did she get to Asheville? The other theory on how she got to Asheville has to do with kidnapping. She either met someone while sightseeing who offered to show her something, and she went in the car willingly, and then it just didn't turn out well. Or someone forcefully took her while she was sightseeing. The problems with this are, why drive her 600 to 700 miles away to kill her? Why would you not stay more in the area, or even just go like two hours outside of Philly? Going 10 to 13 hours outside of Philly just doesn't make sense. And no one saw or heard anything. Like I said, it's kind of hard to track people down in a touristy town because they go back to their homes and they're never in Philly again. But if somebody saw some woman being kidnapped, you would think they would go to police and these things would be linked together. Now, the third theory for how she got to Asheville is going more on the conspiracy side, which is she never went to Philadelphia in the first place. Many speculate on why or how Judy forgot her ID and why Jeff didn't wait for her. Well, you know, like we said, the law had only been in effect for 18 months, She could have easily forgotten her ID, and if Jeff had to be at the conference to speak, he he couldn't wait for her. This was his job. He had to get there. And the next morning, Jeff didn't go to breakfast with Judy. They were never conclusively seen together in Philadelphia, which makes things a little sketchy. So a lot of people speculate she was already dead at this time. Now, the plane ticket was used, but no one on the flight remembers Judy. Not many in Philadelphia remember Judy either. Like we said, the hotel employee who saw her, supposedly, on April 10th, was proven she could not have seen her because she was not working. There were not many things in the hotel that pertained to women either, and the clothes that were there had not been worn. So... Her not being in Philly isn't totally out of the question. There's not a lot pointing towards her concretely being in Philly, which calls into question a million other things, but we'll leave that for now. The problems with this is that her plane ticket was used, and there were some unconfirmed sightings, but they're unconfirmed. Another theory that a lot of people like to point out is suicide. 
This means she would have gone voluntarily to Asheville. But once again, how would she have gotten there? She didn't, there were, well, okay, she could have gotten a ticket or gotten a taxi or, you know, but there was no evidence of her getting on a plane, getting on a bus, getting a taxi, renting a car. So we don't know how she would have gotten to Asheville. She could have changed her clothes and gotten rid of the red backpack to stay unidentified longer. Maybe she didn't want her family to have to deal with the idea of her killing herself. Maybe she wanted her family to just think she went missing voluntarily and she was living a happy life somewhere. I could see that as a plausible thing. The problems with this, number one, why kill yourself by stabbing? That seems like the worst way to go. There are a million other ways that are probably much less painful, much less aggressive. It doesn't make sense. Also, why go so far and why go up a mountain? Other than staying unidentified, not having people know, doesn't make much sense. And she had severe arthritis in her right knee. So that would have been extremely uncomfortable for her. Why change your clothes? Once again, could be because she wanted to stay unidentified. But, I mean, your clothes aren't going to necessarily give you away either. Why was she wrapped up and in a shallow grave? Generally, people who commit suicide do not dig their own grave. And they do not wrap, wrap themselves up in a blanket after. Not saying it counts it out completely, it's just odd. And then the most pressing piece of evidence against suicide is the men's expensive sunglasses. Unless she stole them from someone for some random reason, even though she's never stolen before in her life, it doesn't make sense. You're wearing expensive men's sunglasses that you would never buy, that didn't belong to anyone you know, that you should not have had in your possession, it why are they there other than somebody else was there with you? Now, the thing that police think and most people think is she was killed. So murder, homicide, whatever. This does not mean she did not go to Asheville voluntarily, though. She could have gone voluntarily. She could have wanted to start a new life. She could have wanted to break. And then she met foul play while either hiking or in the city. Or she could have gotten kidnapped while sightseeing and brought to Asheville and then forced to go on this hike, you know. The problem is she would have had to been alive when going up the mountain. Like I said, it's not a desolate trail and it's too long to drag someone up. Even if it wasn't too long and there's even a chance of other people being there, what kind of murderer is going to drag a body on a trail and risk being caught? Doesn't make sense. Most plausible theory is that she had to have been alive and hiked up herself. She could have gone on her own and was killed randomly on the hike. She could have gone voluntarily with someone she knew or someone she had just met who said, you know, I want to show you something and been killed. Or one thing that a lot of people aren't looking at is she could have been forced to go up the trail. Either at gunpoint, knife point, she could have been threatened and that's why she hiked up there willingly well, quote-unquote willingly, and then she was killed. If she was murdered, though, why change her clothes? You would either have to have her change her clothes or change her yourself after she's dead. doesn't make a lot of sense. 
why take the backpack but leave the ring and the money? This counts out robbery gone wrong. If someone killed her, this was killing like just for the thrill of it, just thrill killing, or it was somebody who knew her who wanted her gone but didn't want her stuff. Why would the killer leave their own sunglasses? And, you know, was she killed right when she went missing or kept around for a while or voluntarily in Asheville for a while and then killed? There's so many different variables with the idea of her being murdered. I mean, there's so many different variables with this case as a whole that nothing really steps out as, oh, that's probably what happened. There's no one clear thing. Now, the only suspect in her case was her husband, Jeff. He has since passed away, but he was the only suspect in the case. They never really had another concrete suspect. However, I don't believe he did it. He was at the conference all day. This is an extremely good alibi. He was speaking. He was managing people. He was there. There's no way he could have gotten away. Now, he could have killed her before going to Philly, but... It just doesn't make sense why he would say she was in Philly then. He could have said, oh, she stayed at home alone, and like something could have been staged there. Now, a problem is that he spent tons of money and time to find her. Like I said at the beginning, if you kill your wife and you want it to stay covered up, you don't want to be convicted, you're not going to go to police, you're not going to call politicians, you're not going to start searching right away. This guy did everything wrong if he killed her, but I don't believe he did. He was super active in the case. He was also obese, so he could not have hiked up that mountain with her, killed her, and he could definitely not have carried her up that mountain if she was already dead. The family, including Judy's children, 100% believe it's not him. They said there was not a mean bone in his body. Him and Judy loved each other. Yes, she was getting annoyed with him being home and having to sign a prenup, but there was really nothing wrong in the relationship. And we say that sometimes, and we're like, well, maybe we just didn't see it. But Judy was close with her children. I believe she would have said something if there was something wrong. And the children state Jeff 100% did not kill their mother. Now, the last thing we're going to talk about is leaning on the very large conspiracy of things, just as her never going to Philadelphia was. This is a lot less plausible than her never going to Philadelphia, because I do think there's a possibility she was never there. It just, there was really no concrete evidence she was in Philadelphia. But some people speculate the body found, the skeleton found, was not Judy. Some believe it's not Judy because it was matched through dental records and her having arthritis in her right knee. And this is not, obviously, 100% science. It is possible that somebody else has the same dental records as you, or it's possible that the person comparing these dental records was confused, not good at their job, and just messed up. And A lot of people have arthritis, so that shouldn't play into it as much as a lot of people give it credit for. Like I said, there was no identification on or near the body. I don't believe it's ever been found. She was not wearing the clothes she left in. 
These were not her glasses. This was not her normal backpack. I don't even know if she owned a blue backpack. She was always seen with the red one. So that's odd. How would she get to this area? Once again, bring that up again. And why would she be there? She was not conclusively ever in Asheville. There's no concrete evidence saying she was in Asheville besides the police saying this was her body. And when we look back at how they looked at her dental records to compare to the body found, they looked at it because somebody found, somebody with the case found a flyer for Judy Smith being missing, and they said, let's look at this lady. So if we're just playing with this theory a little bit, we could think the people, the medical examiner working on this case just wanted to get this solved, and they glanced at the dental records and just stated, yep, this was Judy Smith. People do their jobs bad all the time. I don't know who examined her, who did the autopsy, who did the dental record match. Not saying they're bad at their job, I'm just saying it's a possibility things were overlooked. So while this seems like a crazy theory, it's not totally out of the realm of possibility. That is all we have for the theories. As for my theory, I definitely believe she was murdered if this body is hers. Whoever this is was murdered um, because of the stab wounds. You're not going to commit suicide by stabbing. It just doesn't make sense. But as for why she went to Asheville, how she got on that mountain, why she was killed, who she was killed by, I have absolutely no idea. This case is very perplexing. And I, I don't have a theory with this one. Normally, I can kind of figure out what I think is most plausible, but I have absolutely no idea. I just believed Judy, or whoever this body belongs to, was murdered. This was a little bit of a longer episode, but there was a lot of variables to talk about. So if you stuck with me, thank you. Um, Thank you for going over this case with me. And before we close out, make sure to follow Accurate Unsolved on Twitter, Accurate Unsolved Pod on Instagram, join our Facebook group, and like our Facebook page, both of which can be done by searching Great Unsolved on Facebook. We also have a Patreon where there are tons of Patreon-only episodes, a monthly bonus episode, which is starting again this month. It should be out this week. I give you a shout-out when you join. You get early and free access to all the public episodes. Joining Patreon helps me devote more time to researching and covering all these unsolved cases for you, the victims, and the victim's family. Thank you for going over the case of Judy Smith with me and have a safe rest of your week.